And uh, tonight we're going to be uh, focusing on two chapters in the book of Revelation. Now, I will tell you, I know anytime you mention the book of Revelation, some people's uh, thoughts and feelings are, boy, that's a book that is very confusing to me. Other people start to foam at the mouth whenever you mention the book of Revelation. They're like, man, I'm ready to go. Uh, they want to talk about the toenail on the beast and all these types of things. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to preface the study tonight, although we're going to be in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and chapter 3, remember our series is rightly dividing the word of truth. So what God led me to uh, this week, and really last week is when I started my study, is we're going to use these two chapters to really, yet again, help us to understand from these two chapters how we can divide the Word of God and we can do it correctly, we can do it in a right way. So listen, this is not a, a lesson, an outline, a message tonight on Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Is everybody, that may or may not make sense to you. So if you're, if you're thinking I'm going to teach all about what's in those two chapters, you're going to miss it tonight, okay? So hopefully it'll make sense. It'll, it'll all come to fruition as time goes along. I've entitled the outline tonight, The Significance of the Seven Golden Candlesticks. The Seven Golden Candlesticks. And we're going to get started tonight. I'm going to use one verse as we jump off this morning, this evening. And the verse I'm going to use is the very first verse in Revelation chapter number two. If you notice there... The Bible says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now did you notice some sevens in there, right? And there's some other things, uh, the stars and the candlesticks and so on. And, and we're going to talk about all those things tonight. Now, there is, a, a, there is a, a, a mistake in your outline tonight. I want you to look at it there where it says, right after introduction, and it says, the, the angel of the church of. Everybody see that? Okay, now, it should not say that it means administration of the truth. Okay, so that's a typo there. Here's what I want you to write is, after the angel of the church of, it should say, is, a, uh, is the word's meaning is the word's meaning, bless you, is the word's meaning angel or messenger, okay? So where it says the angel of the church of, what God is saying here is that the word angel is a word, it's the word angelos, okay? In which we get our English word, it can be translated, yes, angel, but it also can be translated a messenger. Now, as you study the Word of God, and I, I, I really wish I had time, a lot of time to do this, I'm going to pack as much punch as I can in this short time frame tonight, but it's probably here, and, and I'll show you some scriptures to back this up, it's probably not referring to angels here, because it can mean angel, angelos can, but it's probably more referring to pastors because angels, as you study these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, angels are not included in the rebukes that God gives to the churches. Because he's talking about, when you think about a church, think about the first church in the New Testament, Jesus Christ was in the role of a pastor, and then he had those that were underneath of him that were a part of that church, they were the members, 
at that particular time, it was the disciples, it was his followers, close followers. So in a church, you have a pastor and you may have some deacons, you may have the members of the church. So here, the word that is used here, angelos, is probably referring to pastors because those individuals, look, when something happens here at Bible Baptist Church, guess what? I, as the pastor, I'm a member of this church. You know what that means? My vote, which is one, holds the same weight as Greg's vote, as Roman's vote, as Robert's vote. My vote has no more weight to it than anybody else. See, the pastor has one vote. Why? Because he's a member, not because he's the pastor. Everybody with me tonight? So when you think about what he's saying here, the, the word angelos that he uses here under the, the angel of the church of, this is actually a military term that he's using here. Now, it, it's a term referring to soldiers who were sent from one line of battle to another to deliver an important military message. So get this, when you think about, we've talked about this in the past, we even talked about it in Sunday school, how that we're a soldier of Jesus Christ. That when we get saved, we become a party of the arm, a part of the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So here, when he mentions angel or angelos, it is a soldier going from one battle line to another to deliver an important message. Well, think about these 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 letters. Now, when when we look at this, a lot of times in our Bible. We see words, but we oftentimes don't think of them as being letters. Like we, we call it the book of Ephesians. You realize that was a letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, the book of Philippians, we call it a book. It was a letter, an epistle that was written to those in Philippi. Everybody understand? So as you think about this, that's what God was allowing Paul and other individuals to do was to bring those letters or those important messages to help the church that's on the front lines of the battle. Remember what Jesus said? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Folks, we're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil is not about to lay down his arms. Matter of fact, he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And we're in, a, we're in an all-out fight tonight. And it, the Bible tells us in the book of Jude, we must be earnestly contending for the faith. We have to be at this. And so as he's writing here, he's using this term here, messengers. Now notice these messengers are referred to, go back to chapter 2, look at verse 1 again. He says, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. Now watch these words. These things saith he that holdeth the what in his right hand? The seven stars. Now notice those words there, the seven stars. Now a lot of times we think of stars, we think of looking up in the sky, right? That's what we think about. Now you, if you study the Word of God, here's what you find is, is that stars could be a reference to people. Uh, isn't it interesting that even Hollywood calls them movie, what? Stars. They're people. And there's references to individuals, even in the Word of God, that are, that, watch this, that are good stars and bad stars. Let me give you an example in your notes there. I'll start with the bad one first. I'll give you the bad news first, all right? Look at Jude verse 13. 
The Bible says, and there's a couple great verses before this, but he says, raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, what in the world is God talking about there in Jude verse 13? Here's what he's talking about, these wandering stars, they're false teachers. The Bible is clear. These are people that are trying to tear the church of the living God apart. And they're wandering. Folks, how many of you think there are false teachers out there today? Hey, we just talked about LDS, right? There are people out there. The Saturday morning when we got out of our car, and I had my handful of gospel tracks. As soon as I got out of the car, I went down three or four houses. And when I got to the last house right across the street, a car, two cars pulled up and some folks got out. And I'm going to tell you something. They were not with us. They were against us. Uh, they preach a different gospel. They, it's, it's a totally false teaching. They're not leading people to Christ. They're leading people away from Christ. And so when you think about this, these wandering stars that he talks about, they're, they're bad people. They're trying to falsely lead people and deceive people. But look what Daniel says in the Old Testament in chapter 12, verse 3. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the what stars forever and ever now those stars that he mentions in the book of daniel those are stars that are going to shine forever where in god's kingdom so understand that when you think about where he says that he has seven stars in his right hand now think about this and we're going to get into this 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 hand that holds, holds these stars the Bible describes, look at it again, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. I love a lot of this, this talk in the book of Revelation. There's so much that I could say. I'll try to confine it to Bible verses. How many of you know the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, right? So let's go back to chapter 1, and I gave you the verses here, it, it, because we want to talk about, well, who is he that holds the seven stars in his right hand? Well, I think the Bible answers that. Look what it says in verse 13. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto who? The Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about with paps, uh, the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were like uh, white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp, sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his Strength. Who do you think that's describing? That's Jesus, right? There's no doubt about it, folks. That is the Lord Jesus. There's plenty of other verses in the scriptures to help us understand what? That Jesus is the one holding the seven stars. Well, think about this. Who were those seven stars? They were the messengers, the angels, the angelos. And what did they have? They had the message of God. What is the message of God? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. That's what they had. And he was holding them in God's hand. Look at this. Look at this uh, map here. Is, is that the next slide I have there? No? Yes? There you go. Can you, can you guys see that? If you look at this map, there, are, there is so much on that map right now, but I want you to see as it's highlighted the seven churches 
that we're going to talk about, we're going to use as an illustration tonight to rightly divide the Word of God. But you can see many of these areas where Paul, notice up here where it says Cilicia, see Tarsus, that's where, he was Saul of Tarsus, right? And you can see down here on the right, Jerusalem there in Judea, you see Antioch up there, and of course you see the, the Mediterranean across there, a lot of places there's the island of Crete right in the middle where Paul sailed around the island. Uh, you can see Malta way over there on the left. Of course, Paul traveled to Rome way up there in the left corner. But notice these churches. Look at them. They're all located in that little boxed-in area right there. And you see the seven churches. We're going to talk about those churches tonight that God gives us. Now, remember, what we're looking at in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, even though it's two chapters in our Bible, they're letters that were given to those seven churches. Now, did Paul write those letters? Who did? John did, right? John the Revelator wrote those. And so as we think about this tonight, Jesus is holding these ministers, these seven stars in his hands. Now, why is he doing that? Well, because he owns them. He's bought them. He directs them. He's the one that fills them. He's the one that supports them. In other words, what does the Bible teach us? They are instruments in his hand. By the way, I am too. You are too. We are instruments in the hand of God for God to do as he wills. And listen, anything good, and this happened to me not many times. I wish I could say more. But if somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, Pastor, that was a great message. You know what I usually say to that? Praise the Lord. Because anything good that comes out of my life, listen, it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what he's done through me. See, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. And these seven stars that he had in his right hand, listen, God was directing them. And anything good that came through them was done by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so he is said to not only be holding, because the Bible does say that, he's holding the seven stars, look at this, I couldn't hold seven people in my right hand, but he's God. God's holding the seven stars in his right hand, but look what else it says in verse number one of, of uh, Revelation 2. It says, he holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now the word walketh, notice again that E-T-H. That means it's a continual ongoing action. So as we think about this, he's not only holding the ministers, the messengers with the message of God in his right hand, but he's walking in and among those, those golden candlesticks. Now let's take a look here what those candlesticks are, because the candlestick was, you know, nowadays we flip a switch and, and a, a lamp goes on. We're very spoiled people, <laughs> all because of Edison and other people like that. But see, they would have a lampstand, and when you find the scriptures here, the, the word candlestick is a direct reference to the churches. Now, if you don't believe me, look what it says here in Revelation 1 and verse 20. The Bible says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, here it is, here's the answer. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven what? Churches. So God says, look, these candlesticks. Now, what does the Bible say? In, it, it, Jesus said, let your light what? 
so shine. Now, is he talking about every building that we call a church? Remember, the church is not a building, is it? It's the people of God. So he says, we, as the church of the living God, even in 2019, we're to let our light so shine. Is it our light? No, it's his light. Who is the light? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, I'm the light of the what? Of the world. So when you look at this here, he says, the, the, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Now, again, when you look at that map that we looked at, it shows all of those churches And that's what we want to talk about tonight is those churches and how they come into play. Because again, we're going to see how this, these, these churches, seven churches, seven candles helps us to understand something about the church. Remember last week we talked about, uh, we talked about the different dispensations, right? The different time periods that God has given us in his word that helps us to understand the word of God to rightly divide it. Tonight, we're looking at these seven churches. Last week, we looked at eight dispensations. Tonight, we're looking at seven churches, all right? And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this to help us to understand a little bit more about the church. But here's the thing is, is we're not going to delve into each one of these. I'll give you a little bit about each one. But it helps us to understand the church of the living God. Okay, so as we get into this tonight, Jesus, as, as he mentions here in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is going to visit every one of these churches. Now, why does Jesus visit his churches? Remember what he said in his word, where two or three are gathered together in my name. What did he say? I'll be in the midst of you, right? Uh, The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 25, forsake not what? The assembling of yourselves together. Look, it would not be church without Jesus. Let me say that again. It's not church without Jesus. There's a lot of people who say they're going to have church this coming weekend, but I'm going to tell you something, Jesus isn't there. Say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because his word isn't presented, because the right uh, spirit, the right songs. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? You, You don't ever go anywhere, but here, people come here all the time and say, man, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been missing. This is what worshiping God is all about. Now, I'm not saying we have all of our ducks in a row, but listen, at least we're following God's word and we're trying to do things God's way. And so as we think about what he's saying here tonight, Jesus is going to visit every one of these churches. Now, why is he going to visit them? He's first going to visit them to commend them. As he goes to each one of these seven churches, these these stars that, he, that he's holding in his hand, he's going to go there and commend them and praise them for some things. Then he's also going to go to them and he's going to rebuke them. He's going to correct them about some things. Look, none of us enjoy it, but all of us, none of us have arrived. Paul, Paul says, I've not yet apprehended. Anybody in here perfect? See, we, we all need, look, the chastening of the Lord. God rebukes us. Why? Because he loves us. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So he's, the Lord's going to come and he's going to commend these churches. He's going to rebuke these churches. He's also going to come among them and he's going to exhort them. Now the word exhort means to build up, to encourage them. See, the Lord doesn't tear down his churches. Because of him, they're better. And as we think about him coming, he's going to exhort them. And here's the last thing he's going to do when he comes among his churches is he's going to promise them some things, the promises of God. This means that he's going to reward them that, that, that were faithful to him. And listen, that's one thing that God, God requires of a steward, that a man be found what? 
faithful. God wants us to be faithful. How many of you think it's, it's becoming a difficult day to live for the Lord, right? And you know what God's looking for? He's looking for someone to stay faithful in spite of the difficult circumstances. Now, when we look at what he's, he's sharing here tonight, these seven churches in Revelation, what do they stand for, okay? Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully as I get into this little section before we get into the simple little outline I gave you tonight. But first of all, I want to say this. There's a lot of typology in the Bible. The number seven that we see mentioned here and many other places, it's not a hard and fast rule, but right here in the book of Revelation chapter two and chapter three, the number seven is the number of completeness. See, God doesn't do anything halfway. So when God gives us these seven, he didn't give us eight, he didn't give us six, he gave us seven. And we pay attention to what God gives to us because we don't add anything to or we don't take anything away from what God has given to us. So we see God giving us this perfect number. The seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, here's the buzzword. They were literal churches. As literal as Bible Baptist Church of Pembroke Pines. These were literal churches. They were there present at the time when John the Apostle was writing the book of Revelation. So these churches existed. And though they were literal churches at that time, with each one of these churches being literal, there is also a spiritual significance for churches and believers today. In other words, how many of you do agree with the fact that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable, right? God, God has preserved Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3 for our good, for our benefit. It's, it's good for us to understand what he is saying here in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, there are at least two purposes that God has given these seven churches, these seven letters to us. And there's a third one that I'll share with you, but I'll, I'll make a little statement about it when I share that third one. Here's the first purpose of the significance behind these literal churches, but it's a spiritual significance for the church today, believers today. The first purpose of the letters to the churches was to communicate with these literal churches and to meet their needs that they had at that time. See, these churches were just like ours. We, we had prayer time just a little bit ago, and we have church members that have specific needs. So these letters, as John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they were written to meet those needs of those people at that particular time. How many of you would agree with that, right? So these, these letters were written to help them to communicate to these churches to meet their needs. The second purpose that God gave when he gave these seven letters was to reveal seven different types of individuals, or I would say churches, that throughout history, as you look at these, God would instruct them in God's truth. Now, the reason I said individuals and churches is because what is the church comprised of? Individuals. See, God's the one that tempers the body. God brings people in. Our church, praise the Lord, our church has grown over the last couple of years. That's because God's bringing people in. There's, we don't have no magic wand. We, 
folks, listen, I've been excited because the more we teach the Word of God, the more we instruct in the truths of the Word of God, people keep coming. People are hungry today. They want to know the truth. They're tired of all the lies and things being watered down. And listen, I understand it's not popular because if it was, we'd be busting at the seams. But I'm glad that God has promised that if we stay faithful to his word, that God will bless and he will give the increase. And that's what we're seeing here is that there's another reason. And the reason is because God reveals these different types, individuals, these churches throughout history. And God does this by instructing them in God's truth. Now, let me give you this third possible reason why he gives this. And as I give this third one, Notice that the third purpose is to use the seven churches here in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 to foreshadow seven different periods in the history of the church. Seven different periods. Now remember, watch this. Let me see if I can explain this easily tonight. Remember how last week we looked at the dispensations that are given in the Word of God and we started in the beginning, right? We started with the dispensation of, anybody remember what it was called? innocence right and then when the age of innocence ended then we stepped into the next dispensation when that one ended we stepped into the next one remember everybody remember doing that okay so it's kind of a chronological it kept going it was a progression right now here's the disclaimer when you look at this third purpose is that when you think of God giving these churches to us to foreshadow different periods in the history of the church the problem with this view is that each of the seven churches that are listed in Revelation 2 and 3, it describes issues that could fit in any of the churches at any time. So here's what you see. Watch this. So you might see something in the first church period that honestly you could see in the fourth church period. How many of you have ever heard something like, I've even said this. And I do believe it's true. But see, there's a lot of people that believe we're living in what church period right now, according to Revelation 2 and 3? Which one? The Laodicean church age. Let me ask you this. If you've ever looked at the letter to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, the things that you see that described about the church of Laodicea, would you say that some of those things were also indicative of other church periods? Sure. So in other words, we cannot say like the dispensations that when this church age ended, this one started. When this one ended, this one started. And, and it was like the dispensations. Do you get it tonight? It, there, it's a little bit different because what was going on in the sixth church age or that sixth period could have happened back here in the second church. All right. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Okay. It's important that you get that because we cannot go hard and fast on this. So having said that, our focus as we look at Revelation 2 and 3 tonight, it should be on what message God is giving us through these seven churches. That's what our focus should be. God, what are you, what are you trying to show us? Now, again, I'm not going to go to I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time on each one of these. Matter of fact, if you notice, I didn't give you any blanks tonight. Now there's, I think there's two blanks for each one. Outside of that, I gave you all the information because I'm going to move tonight. I'm going to let you take it home and do one of these. All right? You can go chew on it tonight, but I will tell you this. Pastor spent the entire day 
and I would have spent the next two days, but I thought I've got to get this done so we could study it tonight, all right? So here we go. Let's, let's put our seatbelt on. Here's the first of those churches, the church at Ephesus. Now, if you look in your Bible in Revelation 2, I've given you where you find it. It's in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. When you look at these, these verses, here's what you find that the church was during this time. It was known as the backslidden church. Does everybody understand what it means to backslide? See, there's people today, and here's what they believe is that you can get saved and lose your salvation. Can I tell you, that's not Bible. See, once saved, always saved. What kind of life does God give you when you get saved? Eternal life. Can you lose it? Why can't you lose it? Because you didn't get it to begin with. He gave it to you. God's the one that gave you eternal life. You, God's not an Indian giver. God's not going to take it back. You become a child of God. But here's what happens is because of sin, we slide away from God. We backslide. God never moves. We slide away from God. Folks, you don't need to get saved again. You just need to come back where God, where God is. He's right where, he, where, right where you left him is where God is. But when you look at this first church, as it's described here in Revelation chapter 2, notice that, again, I said these earlier, the first thing that he does to every church is he gives a commendation. Now, notice what he commends the, the church at Ephesus. He, they were known for their hard work, perseverance. They did not tolerate wicked men. They endured hardships. Now, by the way, you can read these couple verses, and it'll explain exactly what we're looking at here. Here's one. They hated the practices of who? The Nicolaitans. Now, that's a good one right there. I was, I was sharing with Brother Peter the other day at the picnic, and I, I was, he, somebody said something about my hat because it was a church hat. Brother Peter says, I wish I had one of those. And I said, you got a good hat on? And he goes, oh, he was wearing a hat that said Nike on the front of it. And I said, I said that's a good hat. And he, 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 just, he didn't believe me. I could tell he didn't believe me. And I said, it's, by the way, Brother Peter, it's not Nike. I said, it's Nike. I said, do you know what Nike means? And he goes, no. I said, it means victory. Boy, he started smiling. I said, now, the only thing on your hat that's not of God is that swoosh, because God doesn't know what a swoosh is. But, but, but here's the thing is, think about this. Nike means victory. But look at They hated the Nicolaitans. They hated the spirit of the Nicolaitans. Well, look at, if you take the word Nicolaitans and you take it and you put it in the sections that God gave, the first part of that word is nikos. That's not nike, but it's a derivative of nike. It's nikos. The word nikos means to conquer or to subdue. So these were people that were conquerors or subduers. The word laos, okay? Notice nikolaitans, laos. So you have laos is a word for the people. So literally, Nicolaitan means one who conquers and subdues the people. Jesus himself talked about these people known as Nicolaitans, and Jesus hated the deeds and the behavior of the Nicolaitans. That included all of their actions, their belief, their conduct, anything else that was associated with them. Jesus, he didn't want nothing to do with these people that were known as Nicolaitans. So he commended them because they actually were not tolerating wickedness, they were enduring hardships, they hated the practices of the Nicolaitans, so Jesus commended them. But notice in this same church, he gave a rebuke, and he told them, because you've left what? You left your first love. He says, boy, you, you fell out of love with me. 
And so notice after he rebukes them, he exhorts them. Here's what he tells them in these couple verses. He says, I want you to remember and I want you to repent and do the things that you did at first. See, Jesus is giving it. That's the goodness and grace of God, that you can come back to God in spite of getting away from it. And then notice the last thing that he does. And by the way, he does this with all seven of these churches. Notice his promise here that they will eat of the tree of life. Where's the tree of life going to be? It's in heaven. So you know what he's really saying when he says you're going to eat of the tree of life? He says you're going to be with me someday in heaven. So the first letter to the churches. The church at Ephesus, he, he makes the commendations, he rebukes them, he exhorts them, he makes a promise to them. Look at the second letter to the second church, the church at Smyrna. This is in Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. Now, this would be considered the persecuted church. See, a little different than the backslidden church. This is a church that, notice his, con, uh, his commendation was they were suffering persecution and poverty, and he commended them for that. But notice the rebuke. What rebuke did he give to this church at Smyrna? What does it say? None. If you look in the verses to the church in Smyrna, he didn't rebuke them for one thing. There was nothing that the Lord rebuked them for. But notice what he exhorted them. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. I just want you to be faithful even to the point of death. That's what Paul says. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. And this church in Smyrna, listen, God says, just be faithful. Well, look at the promise. If they would be faithful, he says, the promise is you're going to receive a crown of life and you will not be hurt by the what? Second death. Now, think about this. The, the, the first church, the church in Ephesus, the promise that he gave to them was they were going to eat of the tree of life. And the tree of life there is indicative of heaven. But when you come to the church in Smyrna, they were persecuted. And when he says to them, you're going to receive a crown of life. Does anybody know what that crown, it, it, it talks about? Because they were a what? They were martyred. They were martyred for their faith. So they received this crown of life. And he says to them that you're not going to be hurt by the second death. You know what the second death is? It's the lake of fire. See, because they were faithful. And here's what we find is, by the way, are there people today in this Laodicean church age that are being faithful? Yes. Are there people in this Laodicean church age that are being persecuted? Yes. Are there people in the church age right now that, 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 that in this Laodicean time period that have been martyred for their faith? Absolutely. See what I'm saying? That you can see this in all of these churches. Notice the next church, the church at Pergamos, all right? And here in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Now, the church at Pergamos, or Pergamum, this church was known as the compromising church. Think about today. Boy, are the, Brother Flynn, are there some people compromising today? How many different versions of the Bible are there? I mean, you think about all the strange doctrine that's out there today. And, and sometimes I hear it, and I'm like, man, that sounds like a, something out of a bazaar. Sounds like something you got out of a fortune cookie. And we laugh about it, but listen, people are very serious about some of these false doctrines that are out there. But see, the church at Pergamos was the compromising church. Now, Jesus did give them a commendation. He says, look, you have remained true to Christ, and you have not renounced your faith. They were actually, Pergamos was where Satan was on the thronos. Anybody know what the word thronos might mean? Throne. It was the seat of Satan, Pergamos was. 
And these people, according to, to Jesus, the one that was holding the seven stars, he, re, he was saying, look, you've remained true. But then notice he rebukes them. And he says, but some of you have held to the teaching of Balaam. Now, the teaching of Balaam was a teaching where they would, they would basically try to get Jews and other people to eat meat that was sacrificed unto idols. Remember, that was a whole conversation with Paul. Was, Paul says, look, I know that it's not going to hurt me, but it's going to cause other people to stumble if I eat that meat that was offered up to idols. And, and this, this matter of the teaching of Balaam, and then he says, you've also held, some of you have, to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Again, these people that were lording over them. And so he rebukes them for that. But then what is his exhortation to the church at Pergamos? Repent. He says, turn from your wicked ways. And then notice what is his promise. Well, look at this one. He says, you're going to receive hidden manna and a white stone with a new name. What? <laughs> well, hidden manna is synonymous with, you find other things in the Bible like bread from heaven. Uh, manna, you know the Old Testament where they went out and, the, and manna fell down and they went out and picked it up. God supplied, he provided for them. Hey, listen, that, that is a clear indication here that it's bread from heaven. But when I read this thing about the stone upon which a new name was written on it, Boy, you talk about, I studied this one out, and the best I could come up with, and I'm not going to, if you, if you don't like it or disagree, I'm okay with that. But there was a couple, couple different things that I found as I looked at some history, some of, the, uh, some of the time of the day when this was written, is these stones many times were given, they were a small, smooth stone, and they had a name written on them. And what was neat about it was as they were given, they granted the person with the stone access. You couldn't get in without one. It's almost like a ticket in the day. And again, when you think about us one day completing our race, that, that's when those runners of the day, when they would run a race, when they would win, that's what they would give them. They didn't give them a gold medal, a silver medal, a bronze medal. They gave them one of these stones, and then they had this big feast at the end of the event. And those that had won, those that had participated... They would, they would go to it, and they would show them their stone with the name written on it. Hey, how many of you know the Lord, when, it, when the day comes, the Lord's going to know who's his, all right? And what a blessing that we see this here. And so notice the promise again, a clear indication of our access to heaven one day, those that have remained true to Christ. Well, look at the fourth church, the church at Thyatira. This is also in chapter 2. Notice Four of these letters to churches are all in chapter number two. This is the last part of chapter number two. Now, the church in Thyatira was known as the corrupt church. So you have a church that's compromising. This church was the corrupt church. Notice he commended them, yes, because of their deeds, because of their love, their faith, their service. There was even some perseverance. He says they were doing more uh, than they were when they first uh, began uh, their relationship with the Lord. But notice he rebukes them for something in these verses. And look what he rebukes them for. Because they were tolerating Jezebel. And the whole thing about Jezebel was two things. Immorality and idolatry. Thus, if you put those two together, what do you have? You have a corrupt church. And so because they were tolerating that, notice his exhortation, same thing as the church before. Repent. And he tells them, you need to hold on to what you have. How many of you know that what God has, 
is far better than what this world ever has to offer. So as he says here, notice his promise to those of the church at Thyatira is that you will have authority over the nations. Now again, we know that we're, we might, the Lord's going to allow us to be a part of his program if we are one of his, but he's the one that's going to rule and reign. What this is talking about is it's talking about we will be a part of his future glory. It's, it's exciting to think about this, even a church that has corrupted themselves, that they're still the promise of God. Notice the fifth church, the church at Sardis. This gets into chapter number three. And the church at Sardis is known as the dead church. The dead church. Notice the commendation here. He commended them for their deeds and the reputation about being alive. He says, some of you were found worthy. That's God's word, not mine. And here's what he means that they were indicators that they were clear followers of the Lamb, capital L, the Lamb of God. But not all were. Because here's what he rebukes them for. Is he says they were really dead. In other words, they had fallen asleep. What do you see today? People are apathetic when it comes to the things of God. People are falling asleep when it comes to spiritual things. They want to be lulled and they want to be entertained. They want to have rock music in the church. Hey, listen, this is what he's talking about. He's just talking about a church that is dead. So what does he do? He exhorts them. Look at these words. Wake up. Strengthen that that remains. Hey, listen, we have God's word. We don't need some new program. We just need to strengthen what God's given to us. And so look at his promise to this church in Sardis, this dead church. He says that if you will remain faithful to me, he says you will be dressed in white and you will be acknowledged before God the Father and before his angels. And when he talks about this matter of being robed in white, it's indicative of the holiness, the joy that we will have one day as we will spend all of eternity with the Lord. The church in Sardis. Notice number six. The sixth church is the church at Philadelphia. Philadelphia. You take that word there. Philos. Philos. Means what? Brother, right? And then you have, or, or, or means, means love. Sorry about that. Means love. And then you have Adelphos, which means brother. So you have the city of brotherly love. They even use that in the, in the city up there in Pennsylvania. So here's what you have is in this particular church in Revelation 3 is known as the faithful church. Now, what, is he, what does he commend them for? For their deeds. They, they kept Christ's words and did not deny his name. They endured patiently on the Lord. What kind of rebuke did he give the church in Philadelphia? None. This is the only one of two churches that the Lord has no rebuke for. Notice how he exhorts them. He tells them, hold on to what you have and that they would be kept from the hour of trial coming on the world. Hey, listen, what hour of trial is he talking about? Anybody know? Time of tribulation. He says, you're going to be kept from that. You know why? Because you're not going to go through it. See, all of those that are in Christ will not go through that. And so what is the promise? I like this one, that they will be pillars in the temple and Christ's new name will be written on them. You know what that means? When you think about a building, and we, we build differently nowadays, but back then you could still go to some of these ancient ruins where they got these massive pillars. When we were in the Holy Land, there were pillars laying on the ground everywhere. And he says, look, those pillars, they hold up, they support the, the, the church of God. And he says, that's what you are, is you're a pillar in the church. And he says, God's name is written. You know what that means? God's given you honor. 
God's honoring your faithfulness, and we see this in the church of Philadelphia. And then look at the last of the churches, the church at Laodicea. This is the last part of Revelation chapter 3, and this is the church known as the lukewarm church. Lukewarm. Again, that's pretty indicative of today, but do you think that in any of these other church ages that there was ever a spirit of lukewarmness? Absolutely. See, it's not just, now we think, you ever heard this, boy, things are really bad today. They're worse than they've ever been. How many of you think things were bad in Noah's day? <laughs> things have always been bad, right? Because Why? Because of man, because of sin, because of wickedness. But in this Laodicean church age, notice his condemnation. What is it? He has nothing good to say about this church. Not one thing. This is the only one of the seven churches where there's no, common, no commendation, not one good word. Folks, listen, that's not a good testimony, is it? There's no commendation. What does he rebuke them for? Well, they're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. They're wretched. They're pitiful. They're poor. They're blind. They're naked. So he, what does he do? He exhorts them. And, and again, understand the terminology. He says, you need to buy of me from Christ Refined gold, white clothes, eye salve, all of these things. He's talking about being earnest and repent. In other words, anything, watch this, anything you get from God and not from this world, it's going to make you better, it's going to make you richer. Hey, I can tell you this, after 35 years, I'm way better off today than I was before I got saved. Why? Not because of anything I've done, but because of everything God's brought into my life. And that's what he says, you need to buy of me all these things that will make you a better person. And then notice the promise that he tells them in the church of Laodicea is that they will eat with Christ and they will rule with Christ if they buy of him, if they are clothed in white, if their eyes have been healed up, they're earnest and they repent of their sin. Now, you, you, we went through those kind of quick, all right? So I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to put a bow on it, all right? Now, as we think about these seven churches, okay? Now, I told you, that there are things that you can find in each one of these churches that you would find in other churches. But the whole theme to the book of Revelation, if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, the theme to the book of Revelation is found in Revelation chapter 1 in verse 19. And look at these words. God tells John, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. So here's John, he's being instructed by God to write about the past, the present, and the future. How many of you think it's important to know, in correlation to the Bible, the past, what's happened in the past? These things were given unto us for our example, right? The present, how many of you, how many of you like to know where you are with God today, right? And I know, listen, a lot of people are enamored with what's going to happen in the future. We call that prophecy, right? So John was instructed to write those things. So he was instructed, first of all, to write about the past. So when John writes, he's, to, he's told to write down the things that he had just experienced. That's the past for John. Well, what did John experience? John just experienced the majesty and the glory of God. I mean, can you imagine writing having seen what John saw, and having to put that into words. I just can't even fathom that. I'd be like, I'd still be sitting there with my mouth hanging open. 
you know, and John was instructed to write about the glory of God. But then he's supposed to write about the present. Notice, he says, write the things which are. Why would God have him write? Well, here it is. That's where we were tonight. Remember the seven churches? As John wrote the things which are, those churches existed while John was writing. So those were the things which are. That's the present spiritual condition of the seven churches. So God says, I want you to write, John. I want there to be a record of these seven churches that are indicative of the church as a whole. And God uses those seven churches. So he wrote about the things that were past. He wrote about the things which are the spiritual present condition of the seven churches. But then he gave him one more thing to write. And he says, write the things which shall be hereafter. Now, this is where the rest of the book of Revelation comes in. Because from chapter, the end of chapter 3, all the way from chapter 4 to the end of the book of Revelation, that's what John wrote about the things that were going to happen, the future conditions to the end of the age. So John wrote during the time that the churches existed. With each of those letters, here's a phrase that he wrote. I don't know if you saw it, but seven times he wrote these words. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto what? Unto the churches. Any of you have an ear tonight? I'm looking around. Looks like not only one, but I think most of you have two, right? So he says here, he that hath an ear, why in the world would he use this terminology? Well, here's what it was. God was saying, he was giving to, to us believers. He was giving a solemn warning that what he was addressing in one letter, remember there were seven letters, seven different churches, what God was addressing in one letter may also apply to others in another congregation. So what is God really saying? If I could put it in today's layman terms, God is saying something like this, listen up and pay close attention. How many of you think we need to pay attention to what God's word says? So here's what he, he gives us this, and he uses this statement here, he who has ears. Now, who's the he? All believers that have been given what? The word of God. So see, we have been entrusted with the word of God. And God is giving us a solemn warning that every letter or every word of the word of God was written to each member of the body of Christ. Well, who makes up the body of Christ? Every believer, right? So when, we, when you look at this, if the description, as you read, you read through, you read the church in Pergamos, the church in Sardis, the church in Thyatira, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea, when you look at each one of those churches and watch this, and you see something in that church that actually fits you, something that maybe God is rebuking you about, what are we to do? Well, we're supposed to do the same thing that God's word tells us. That means that we are to make the changes in our lives that God commands. So that's why he gives these seven churches, so that we who are still a part of the church of the living God, when we see something in our lives, maybe, maybe we're, we're, we're giving into uh, the, the, the teachings of Jezebel, we're giving into things that are immoral, or things that are idolatry, or whatever it may be that was in any of these churches, he says, look, I want you to see it, I want you to see that it's wrong, I want you to see my rebuke to that church, and look, I want to commend you, but you've got to repent of that, 
so that I can give you a promise, it's important that we see every one of these. Now, why? Because when's the Lord coming back? We hope soon. We hope tonight. We don't know, do we, Brother Joe? So watch this. So what does it, take your Bible and look in chapter 3. Look at verse number 20. Behold, I stand where? At the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, this is, this is at the end of Revelation chapter 3. What door is he standing at? There's an application for that, that he's standing at your heart's door and knock. But the immediate application in Revelation 2 and 3 is he's standing at what door? He's standing at the door of the church. Say, what church? Could be any of them. Could be Bible Baptist. He's standing at the... Now, here's the sad part. Whose church is it? Or should I say, whose church should it be? His church. Isn't it sad that the one who shed his life's blood, he bought the church, and he's standing outside, knocking on the door, saying, can someone let me in? I want to be with you. If you would just open the door, I'll come in. I'll fellowship with you. I'll sup with you, and you can be with me. Now, here's, here's something that just gripped me the first time years ago that I heard this or read it. Is yes, there are a lot of churches that he's standing at the door knocking. But what's the important significance behind that? Well, if you have your Bible there in chapter 3, are you on the same page with chapter number 4? Look at verse number 1. Let's read verse number 1 of chapter 4 together. After this I looked. And behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, You know what you, what you don't find after Revelation 4, verse 1? The word church, or any clear indication of believers. Why? because of the rapture they're gone now we could we could say Woo-hoo! praise the lord i'm out of here i'm not going through that time that hour that hour of trial that's going to come on the world yeah we won't be but you know the way that the bible says comfort one another with these words you know why you, you know how you could be comforted because all those that you know have been saved by the grace of god see, God's saying, look, the hour is about here. I've given you all the clear indication, uh, if you put it all together, of what the church has done in the past, what the church is doing in the present, what's going to happen in the future. God's laid it all out for us, and if we just rightly divide it, then I'm going to tell you something. It ought to, I, we don't know when the Lord's going to come back, but it ought to heighten our awareness that the Lord wants to be in our lives. He wants to be a part of his church. 
And listen, while there's still time, we need to reach people before it's eternally too late. Well, I'll tell you something. You look at those two chapters, those seven letters to churches. There's so much there, folks. And I told you, I'm going to let you take it tonight and do one of these. All right? Because when you think about it, I, I've, I put together a couple little charts for you, and they're, they're not new to me or I'm original with me, but I'm going to give these to you tonight. And so you can take those, maybe, maybe spend some time looking at these, and, and I'll have, uh, have these back there in the back. Uh, maybe, Greg, you can take these in the back. And there's, there's actually, again, there's a chart on both sides, just a lot of what we already covered. And so if you want to take those with you, let's have a word of prayer. I'll be around if you have a question, and uh, maybe some of this is brand new to you. Maybe some it's just been a refresher for you. But let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this evening. Pray that you bless the Word of God. Help us to rightly divide the Word of God. Thank you for these churches. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a church that you're well pleased with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.